0: More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, now our discussion of the development of Halakha, and we're talking about the Shohan Arukh. We got to the... uh to the point where Rabbi Shalush discusses the uh, the question of whether people followed the rulings of the Shohan HaRuch of Rabbi Yosef Karo immediately after his passing away. Because he already established that Rabbi Yosef Karo was not the chief rabbi of Tsefat or of Eretz Yisrael. Again, not to take anything of the greatness of the by itself and Rabbi Yosef Karo as, a, as an author, but the argument that Everybody who lives in Eretz Yisrael or in Tzfat must follow the rulings of the Shohan Aruch has no basis. And he says that even uh, during his life in Safat, and for years or decades after he passed away, it, people did not follow his rulings. And he brings a couple of examples. So we'll look at them. Um, one, one of them is by is again quoted by the Hida, Rabbi Azulay it says the the colleagues of of rabi Karo were still very closely following the rulings of maimonides uh, especially rabbi yom tov tzahalon who was the, one of the one of the members of the yeshiva of the school of, of Rabbi Karo, and still he followed uh, uh, the uh, my not um and in the book Eretz haim he says. it took many years after Rabbi Yosef Karo passed away for people to follow his rulings in Eretz Israel, and even after his rulings spread in different communities, not all of them. The people chose to follow. As I mentioned, some of them. But with other practices, they kept their own. So here are some, exa- some examples. Regarding the definition of Benash Mashot, which is the time between, the, the doubtful time between day and night, in Eret Yisrael, they did not follow the opinion of uh, the Shuhan Aruch. Later on, Rabbi Avaday Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, really went to war over that issue of the the exact definition Shurna of beneshim. Yes. Is right? ah, uh, uh, that Ochash uh, Sholocham who that we've later followed? Yeah, but it's not right. More lenient. Yes, but in any case, they did not follow. We have proof that they did not follow the opinion of, it, of uh, Rabbi Zevkhar. Also, Nahagur katz nashim tzvi levarich halulav hefek Some women in Eretz Israel at the time of the Ochash and later did say bracha. For the Lulav. Also, there was a, uh, a dispute regarding mikveh, regarding the creation of a mikveh. If the water was drawn and led to the mikveh in a certain manner, Abbas says the mikveh is invalid. And uh, in Taveria, shehamat Hamat created a mikveh like that, and the local rabbi Ma'rib bin Sayah uh, was not. Uh, Against it, So we see that they didn't follow the uh, the halakha of the shohan aruch. Also, <coughs> uh, Rabbi Yosef Karo ruled that when a man is buried, he must be buried with a tzitzit. But uh, Rabbi Yosef Castro, who was a contemporary rabbi of Rabbi Yosef Karo, says, That the tzitzit was on the coffin or on the dead uh, person only during the funeral, but it was removed before burial. So during his time, they did a different minhag. There are many, many different uh, uh, examples. That's that's (laughs) in reality. Yeah, we make the tzitzit pasur, Right, but. Uh, the minhag in Israel Yisrael was not to bury with a tzitzit. In the Maghreb to on the And now, this is in Eretz Yisrael. When we talk about the Maghreb, in North Africa, the one of the customs that uh, is against of Sifkao is to say bracha on Hatzi Halel. When we say Halel on the Lord uh, the uh, the Muglebi community said the Why is that? Either because they follow Rabbeinu Asher or that he says in responsible that they followed the rules of Rabbi Tzachar Fasi from a thousand years ago. Uh, but in any case it's not like uh, either Maimonides or Rabbi Sefkaro same way that they were more lenient regarding the rules of Terefot where they had a doubt regarding the, the lung and it was called una, certain uh, uh, growth that could be found on the lung or around it, uh, that they were more lenient. I mean, this is what people call lenient. You could say they were more strict because they were strict on the concern of not causing people to lose money. Uh, and it says, If you follow the opinion of Rabbi Sifkao regarding this certain uh, incident in an animal, he would hold its trefa uh, 100%, but they did not follow him or Rabbeinu Asher, and they continued their ancient minhag. Similarly, they have different minhagim regarding ketubah, regarding inheritance. Um, in uh, Algeria, they had the local authority of the Tashbets, Rabbi Shim bin Zemaduan, from the 1300s, and they followed him. They said, even though Rabbi of uh, rules differently, we don't follow it so bottom line of all these examples, there are many more that Rabbi Yosef Karo was not the chief of Sefat and his rulings spread slowly, not everybody accepted them uh, and in North Africa they had their own custom, Algeria had their own custom and definitely uh, in Europe the so there is a tradition that is called by uh, Rabbi Hayyim Venisti from Turkey. Following, uh, he said uh, uh, a rumor he heard that this is that this is the tradition that Rabbi Sefkaro is referred to as Maran, our master. And the meaning of that uh, word, Maran literally means master, but it's an acronym of Mimatayim Rabbanim Nismach. He was ordained by 200 rabbis, or agreed upon by 200 rabbis. Probably the real way to read the acronym is not Mimatayim Rabbanim Nismach, Ela Meresh Nismach. From the letter Resh, which is numerical value 200, he was ordained. Otherwise, you could say "mishlosh Mot Rabbanim Nismach, Barba so that's that's how to read the acronym, uh, but we don't have any proof that or any document that shows that. And Rabbi Sherouf says maybe it's the uh, the idea that his master Rabbi Yosef Be- Berav ordained Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rabbi Yosef Be-Rav wanted to renew the institution of Sanhedrin, but eventually it didn't didn't happen. So he wanted to give his disciples a higher authority. And since he is giving Simichah with higher authority, it's as if hundreds of rabbis agreed on it. But um, it says It's it's a rumor, it's an oral tradition that has no written proof and it cannot be binding for Quran Israel. Now, here's an interesting story quoted by the Hidah, Rabbi Chaim Yosef David Azulai in his book, Shem HaGadolim. Shem HaGadolim is sort of a, uh, an encyclopedia of all the great rabbis that lived up to the time of the Hidah. And he writes this following story about how the Shuhan Aruch came to be, the main book that people follow. He says this, Kibalti me'adam gadol shekiber mizkenim, she nitgala bedur maran he says I heard from a great person who himself heard from the elders because the Hida lived about 200 years after Rabbi Yosef so it's not again something that's written but it's a story that was delivered from mouth to mouth one person to another that in the generation of Rabbi Caro, when uh, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero and the Ari who were Kabbalists and all the other great uh, holy people and capitalists lived, it was a, a a divine providence that sent this book to Am Yisrael. And it said, It was just a necessity of the times to have a book that will clearly present all the halakhot and all their uh, and their origin. And then, by the way, this statement in itself is in line with the way we looked at the history of halakha. Right? We saw that there is a, a process. The Mishnah puts all the laws together. The Talmud writes a commentary. The commentary keeps growing, and you need to organize it. Rabbi al Fasi writes his commentary. And then the Maimonides puts all the halakhot together. After Maimonides... More customs spread and different opinions and different commentaries, and then uh, Rabbi Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Rabbi Asher writes the book called Aturim and so on. So it's a it's a it's a dynamic process that every couple of hundred years someone has to clarify the halakha, and write it down. But according to the story, that was a, a sort of a heavenly mission that was now about to be carried on by one person and. At that generation, there were three people who were fit for that uh, for that mission, and all of them, their first name was Yosef. It was Rabbi Yosef Taitatzek, which was originally from the Balkans, Rabbi Yosef Karo, and Rabbi Yosef Ben Lev. And all of them was great so, each one of these three rabbis, named Yosef, was fit for the job, but in heaven they decided that it will be Rabbi Yosef Karo who does that. We already see the problem with that, because it's a, it's a rule mentioned throughout the Talmud that halacha uh, does not rely on prophecy or on divine assistance, but rather it is the the toil and the study of people here on earth. Uh, but that's not the whole story. The hida adds the following. When, when Rabbi Safkaro wrote his commentary on the Turim called Bet Yosef, the other rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Ben-Lev, said, this is not a good book. This, uh, this book causes people... Not to it's a shortcut. Good. It's like cliff notes. He says, those are cliff notes on the Bet Yosef, you know, the, and uh, it will cause people... Oh, the Shohana, the tour, and it will cause people not to uh, study in depth and not to develop analytical skills. So Rabbi Yosef Ben-Lev said, you, my students... Are not allowed to study the book of Rabbi Yosef Kao, not because it's not good, but because it's too good, and I'm afraid that you will lose your uh, ability to analyze and discern halacha. Kind of the iPhone. Okay, because yeah. difficult not <laughs> to remember things. So they would study together the tour. le makor din and the, the, the rabbi Rabbi Malev, did exactly what Rabbi Yosef Kao did in his book to every law that they studied from the the Arba'at to he explained it and he showed all the origins in the Talmud, etc., etc. And and uh, ironically, up until that point that he said, do not use the book of Yosef Kavu, he never uh, missed a point in the tool that he couldn't explain. But after he made the decree, and after he said, do not like he banned the book So they were studying the tool on which Rabbi Yosef wrote his commentary and Rabbi Yosef Ben Lev couldn't find, couldn't explain the halakha and he he looked up all the sources the Talmud and all the other sources and couldn't find any source eventually he had to referred to the book of Rav Yosef And he said, He says, I see that as a divine sign that uh, God wants this book to spread throughout the world. Uh, But Rabbi David Shalush says, Okay, now look at this story. And you realize that the two stories contradict each other. One story says that Rabbi Yosef was ordained by 200 uh, rabbis and that he was chosen by divine decree to write the book and on the other hand you have the story that Rabbi Yosef Ben Lev did not want to use the book he says uh, he says if according to the first story Rabbi Yosef Ben Lev was also capable of writing the same exact book so when the book was printed he said we should have said oh it's a wonderful book this is exactly what I wanted to write you should study it. Uh, right again, if, like the first tradition said, there were one or three rabbis who, were, who was able to write it, but Rabbi Yosef was chosen. The other rabbis would have approved of the book. Uh, and he, so, what is the answer that uh, Rabbi David Chalush gives to the contradiction between the two stories? He says, it's an extremely important statement because Rabbi Chaim Yusuf David Azulay in his role as not only an author but also he wrote the chronology, biography of the rabbis, he establishes the authority. When he speaks of Rabbi Yosef Karo, we follow the uh, explain, explanations of Rabbi, of Rabbi Azulay to determine how authoritative Rabbi Yosef Karo is. And he says this, Darko <laughs> The he traveled extensively. And he would interview people. Whatever he heard, he put in his books. Not always he bothered to uh, find out whether the source is accurate, whether there's a contradiction between the stories that he collected in his books. In other, way, in other words, Rabbi David says the information in the books of the Hida is not... Uh, binding and is not absolute. Also, he says another thing. According to the first tradition, the reason why Rabbi Sefkara was chosen because he was extremely humble. He says, He says, if you can look in some of his books and he he gives you references, you see how he... uh, Argues with his colleagues, among them the Mabit, Rabbi Moshe Ben Yosef Trani, uh, and you see that he argued them with with harsh words. So either he was not humble, or they were as humble as he was. And among them, that was the language that they used. So uh, all in all, Rabbi David refutes those traditions, and he says that uh, we don't have anything that uh, that proves that. And he actually searched for that. He says, I'll conclude with this, he says, I searched all the books. Rabbi David Shalush can tell you that without Google, without electronic databases, it was very knowledgeable, very comprehensive knowledge. And he searched all the books that are related to this issue. And he could not find a proof or written source it says that the rabbis of the community, either in Safat, either in Jerusalem, or any other community, and accepted upon themselves and their descendants to follow a certain rabbi, whether it's Maimonides, whether it's Rabbi Asher in Germany and in Spain, or whether uh, Rabbi Yosef Whatever you find in the books is based on oral tradition that someone heard from someone or that we testify that now it has become the norm. So obviously you find something written, but this is not the kind of written proof that we're looking for. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family